Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. I want to echo that. Welcome to the new year. You know it's a new year, right? Okay, just want to make sure that we didn't all miss that. What happened last night? It's good to be back. I was here last week. So, um, without context, that makes no sense. Um, yes, it's good to be back with you, and just in case you're wondering, that is a song from one of my favorite movies. I figured I could talk about that with you all, because what happens here stays here, so we don't want anybody else to know, but let me just confess to you, Lion King is one of my favorite movies, and because of that song, because as soon as you hear that song, like I heard the song, and I'm like, we should just watch it. So that's what we're going to do now. We're just going to watch the, No, we're not going to do that. I have things to talk about. But um, that song just gets you into it. And I think everybody thinks they know. I mean, the song is like an African dialect, right? But everybody thinks they know what that song actually says. There was a great uh, episode of uh, Jimmy Fallon where he had some hashtags. And he was talking about lyrics that people misheard. And I love this. This is what one person heard. He said, when I was young, I thought the Lion King started with Pennsylvania. Isn't that great? I love the story uh, of that movie. If you're not familiar with it, in The Lion King, there's a, a young lion cub named Simba, and Simba's going to be the next king. And his father is killed, and he is framed for it, and so he runs into the wilderness, and he meets these two guys, Timon and Pumbaa. One is a meerkat. The other one is a warthog. And they teach him this song, Hakuna Matata, and they talk about leaving your behind in your past. Oh, wait, no, it's leave your past behind you. Either way, they teach him about leaving everything behind him and living this new kind of life. The climax of the movie is this moment where he's confronted with the ghost of his father. His homeland is in ruins. Everything behind him is falling apart. And the ghost of his father shows up, and it, it looks at him, and the, the pivotal moment, he looks at him and he says, remember who you are. Remember who you are. What I can tell you is, no matter how this year has started out for you, one of the questions that is most important for us going into this new year, the one of the things we're going to have to answer, we're going to be tested on, that we will need to answer every single day of our life is the answer to that question, who are you? Who are you? Identity is such a big question. And it's also part of something that's very, very natural to our lives, which is our memories. So I had this chance to write a book about how our memories work in our spiritual life, and it comes out in April, and I'm, I'm excited about that. But I've learned some things in working on that about who we are and how we function as human beings, and of course, how God interacts with all of that. And so one of the things that I've learned is that memories make us who we are. There's not a person you will meet today, tomorrow, going forward, that isn't the way they are because of the memories that they carry with them. 
There's a better way to explain that. Let me try to break it down. So my wife and daughter and I, we love to collect shells, and we love to go to places where you can collect shells. Now, sadly, you can't do that in Michigan, so you have to go to, like, the Pacific or the Atlantic or the Caribbean, and you walk along the beach and you pick up shells, and you always find different kinds. So you find some that are beautiful, some that have perfect edges, and the colors are great, and you're like, ooh, that's awesome. And then you find some that are like, eh, that looks disgusting. I'm not even sure that's a shell. It's all shattered and broken and... So you toss that one back and you keep all the beautiful ones. I think that's a great picture for how you and I build our memories because we walk along picking up experiences, tastes, sights, touch, sounds, smells, conversations, interactions, physical, emotional, spiritual things. We carry them with us. And as we carry them, they become our memories. They become things that are lodged in our brain that we can never forget. Did you know there's no short-term memory for smells? Everything you smell sticks with you forever. Baby vomit, anybody? Uh-huh, yeah. Roadkill, you betcha. Skunks, absolutely. Rotten milk, you'll never forget that. It's with you for all times. And so all these things get lodged, and what happens is our memories then become stories. They become the stories we tell ourselves about how life really is. If dad always came home, drank too much, hit one of us, and then fell asleep on the couch, the story we have of our life is that that's what dads do. And then that memory becomes a script. And we begin to live that script out in our everyday life. Our memories make us who we are. And if you remember things like, I don't know, if you got sick on chili once, for example, then the story you have now is chili makes you sick. And then you avoid it like the devil itself, which is bad because in my part of heaven, we'll be serving chili. So if that's you, just don't come over to our side and you'll be fine. We live our lives, even our lives with God, out of the well, out of the deep reserve of all of our memories. And there's one story, I think, in the Bible that helps us figure out how do our memories help us answer the question, who are you? It's a familiar story. It's one of the most important stories in the whole Bible, and it starts in a place called Egypt. And in Egypt, there is this group of people, Hebrew, Israelite people, who are living and have been living there for years because their ancestor, Joseph, moved them there. And everyone loved Joseph. Joseph was in charge in the government. He was a great, well-respected guy. But then Joseph dies, and they get a couple generations away, and people forget who Joseph was. And all of a sudden, they just notice there are all these people around. And who is this? I heard a story about this. Who is this Joseph guy? And a matter of fact, a new king comes, and this is what the new king says. Now, a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are, there's so many more of them. They're more numerous and more powerful than we are. And so he says, come, let us deal shrewdly with them. That word shrewdly is, let's do something about this. There are too many of those folks. We've got to deal with this problem. Or they'll increase, and in the event of war, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. The key phrase here is, he didn't know Joseph. Because when you don't know who someone is, when you forget who someone else is, suddenly you're capable of doing all kinds of different stuff. You can look around at all the people around you and say, who are these people again, and why do they matter, and why should I care? Joseph, who? I don't know, Joseph. I haven't met Joseph. Here's what I know. There's too many of you guys, and you're a threat. And it's amazing what happens when people in power suddenly feel threatened. They get amnesia, and they forget these are also human beings because he changes their identity in that moment. The Pharaoh says, these are no longer our friends. These people are our enemies we got to do something about those enemies. And when that happens, you can do whatever you want to whomever you want. And so what they do is they put these people in slavery. 
oppressive work, not enough materials, long hours, beatings, horrible, horrible things happen because he says, I don't know who Joseph is and I don't know who y'all are. So we're going to deal with this. Which I think is interesting because the same thing happens to us. If we forget who other people are, if we forget that all of us are human beings floating around here, living, surviving, interacting with God, if we forget that, we can do all kinds of stuff, which is, I think is why Jesus, when he came, one of his primary teachings was, love your neighbor as yourself. Like, we like the love your neighbor part, but we forget the as yourself part. I've watched some people love themselves, and I don't want them to love their neighbor that way. I don't want them to hurt people like they hurt themselves. But if we forget who we are, it's going to be impossible for us to love someone else. But also, if we forget who they are, if we forget who they are, we're capable of all sorts of evil. You can dehumanize someone. You can treat them as less when you don't remember that I am and you are, and we're in this thing together. And so what happens is this family of Hebrews stuck in Egypt start to experience terrible evil. Because if the slavery isn't enough and it doesn't seem to work to keep them under control, something else happens. Pharaoh decides to get rid of his enemies, these threats, these people. So he talks to the women who help the Hebrew ladies give birth. And he says this, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, she shall live. Hebrew babies become an endangered species. Why? Because he says, these people aren't human. They don't matter to me. They're threats. I know who I am, and I want to stay safe. And they are a threat. And this is what we're going to do. Now, the Hebrew women say, no, we're not doing that. Sorry, I don't care who you are and what kind of headdress you wear. You're not telling us what to do. So they let the baby boys live. And that brings us to a point in the story where there's one very special baby boy who gets born. For three months, his mom hides him from everybody because she knows if she lets him out in the open, he'll be killed. She keeps him safe, and then at one point when she couldn't keep him secure any longer, she puts him in a basket covered in tar and puts it in the reeds in the river. Parents, let me, how desperate do you have to be to put your child in a basket and hide them in a river, which, by the way, in Egypt, there are crocodiles in the rivers. It's not like rivers around here where the worst we do is like Asian carp. I mean, this is a bad deal. Puts this baby in the reeds to hide it. And in that moment, the baby boy, Moses is his name, is discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. I love the stories in the Old Testament because they mess with us. Like, where else is this kind of thing going to happen? Her dad is trying to kill him. She finds him. She's like, he's so cute. I feel so bad for him. It's a human being. Pharaoh's daughter gets this. Apparently, Pharaoh missed that. And so she pulls him out and says, I want to raise him, but I need one of these Hebrew women to help raise him. And she finds someone in the community who said, how about you? Just so happens to be Moses' mom. Moses' mom raises him from a baby until he's old enough to move on and then puts him in Pharaoh's house. This is insane. Because Moses now has this, this whole big bucket of memories to pull from. And he's got all these influences that are now speaking into his life. For example, Pharaoh's daughter is like, look, my dad's not that bad. Right? He's just trying to keep us safe. And yeah, the slavery is horrible. I get that. And yeah, the killing the baby boys is a step too far. And I told him that over dinner one night. But he's just trying to keep us safe. Right? And then Pharaoh's mom, or Moses' mom, I don't know about Pharaoh's mom. She's probably okay. But Moses' mom gets him aside and says, we're oppressed people. We are dying daily. And the Lord has to come through. 
the God that we all know, the God that we all call on, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has got to do something in the middle of all this. So Moses has all of these influences poured into him. So when we finally see him as an adult in Exodus, this is who he is. He's built of all these different stories. He's heard about being hidden in the reeds. He's heard from his adopted mom about how this is all okay and this is just protecting the kingdom and this is what you have to do against people who are threats. He's heard all of these things and so when he comes into life, he carries that with him. And you and I do the same thing. When we show up at Jewel, when we show up at work, when we show up to family functions, we come with those memories as part of who we are. We come with the memory of a grandparent who supported us and encouraged us. We come with the memory of a parent who abused us, either with their words or with their hands. We come with the memory of grace from friends, even when we failed. We come with the memory of God and his beautiful and amazing and unlimited grace coming to us even when we blew it and lifting us up. We bring that into everything we do in everyday experiences. And what I know is this coming year for you and I, but also for you as a church, You're doing some work on that question. Who are you? What kind of memories, what kind of stories do you bring to this next chapter of what God is going to do? What are you bringing to this next chapter of what God is going to do in your family and in your work, in the community in which you live? And that question is so important because here's what I know. Every day, every week, every month, at some point, that question of our identity is going to get tested. We are going to get pressed on answering that question, who do you think you are? Because here's an interesting point in the Moses story. If you've read it before, I never saw this. You know, Moses was never a slave. He was raised in Pharaoh's house. He was protected. So on the one hand, his mom is telling him, we're these oppressed people. God needs to come through. This is awful. And on the other hand, while his fellow Hebrews are being enslaved and beaten, he's being fed and educated and protected. And at that moment, at the intersection of those two things, that, that's where his identity begins to get tested. He might have the same genes as all those people out there breaking bricks, but he's not like them. So one thing happens, he walks out into the middle of the field one day, and one day after he had grown up, he went out to his people, and he saw their forced labor. He saw the slavery. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his kinsfolk. So I want you to think about this. He's just walked out of this very safe place. Here are his family. He looks around. He, he answers this question, who am I? Deep inside, it wells up within him. Who am I? And he looks around. He says, these are my family. These are my kinfolk. And this is not right. This is unjust. And I'm not standing for this. And so he does this. He looked this way and that. Can I mental picture this for a second? Anybody looking? Okay. Looks this way and that. And then... Seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. How firm does the answer to the question, who do you think you are, have to be for you to have enough rage to kill someone? To stand against that injustice with so much violence, so much fire. Moses reached down deep and he finds this identity that says, whatever's happening here has got to be taken care of by whatever means necessary. And he answers that question with anger and rage, and he kills someone. And so what that teaches us, and what I've learned about this, is that who we are, we will act based on who we are deep down. The things that we do come out of our memories, that's for sure, but they come from a very, very deep place. So deep that sometimes we'll say it's not even there. 
Like some of us will say, you know, this, this racial thing isn't a problem. Racism isn't a problem. Like, did we dealt with that. Like in the 50s and 60s, we dealt with that. I remember that, you know, civil rights and Martin Luther. I remember all that. We dealt with all that until you reach deep down and realize all of us have, all of us who grew up privileged and white, we've got that thing deep inside of us that we have to acknowledge and realize when we talk to our friends of color, they're going to go, it ain't like you think it is. When we reach deep down to figure out who we are and where we've come from, when Moses reaches down and realizes deep down, I know this is who I am, suddenly we start to discover things aren't what they thought, we thought they were. I hear men sometimes say, oh, this me too thing is an overreaction. That's not the way that it is. But when I reach deep down and think about the way I was trained to be a guy, I was given some tools to be completely lopsided and unfair and equal towards women. It's there. It's deep down in there. And so that's where I respond to that from. I also respond to that as a dad, as a, as a dad of a daughter. I'm like, that world isn't going to happen. <laughs> if it's up to me, I'm changing that for her. We are who we are deep down, and we act out of that place, and our memories are going to shape that. The stories we've been told, the experiences that we've had, the abuse we've suffered, the successes that we've been given. We're going to act based on that thing deep deep down, and that's what Moses does, which is great. He addresses brokenness, which is what we do as a church, right? We exist to address the broken stuff of the world, because we have at one point been the broken stuff of the world, and now Jesus tells a different story about who we are. So we go as a church, as individuals, to change that, to deal with that from this deep, deep place. But see, there's a, the weird thing about this whole identity question is it's not always clean, because look at what happens next in the Moses story. When he went out the next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting. And he said to the one who was in the wrong, I love this, why do you strike your fellow Hebrew? And if you're a parent, read this next phrase in parent language, in child language. He answered, who made you ruler and judge over us? You've heard this, right? You've heard this phrase. Do you mean to kill me? As you killed the Egyptian, oh, the word is out. Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. The jig is up. The game is, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard it, he sought to kill Moses. This is where the who are you question gets messy. See, Moses had this experience deep down inside, this rage that came out of him about injustice and said, something's got to be done about this. And so he did something about it. And he thought, this is going to be great. Everybody's going to be happy. And then everybody wasn't happy. Because it's not that easy. Sometimes answering that question of who are you stirs things into a different kind of mess. Sometimes answering that question isn't easy because who we thought we were changes. Moses says, I thought I was one of you. I thought I was now joining the troop. I was part of the suffering. And they're like, who are you again? Wait, you're the guy who sat in the palace while we were getting beat, right? That's are you that guy and you're going to tell us what's right, wrong, just, unjust? Ah, I don't think so. So what happens when the answer to the question, who do you think you are, changes? What happens when we remember the first days of our marriage and the passion and the glory and all of that, and now that all seems to have faded and changed? What happens when we remember the excitement of getting that job that we thought was going to be our career forever, and now we've been downsized and outsized and pushed out, and now we don't know what we're going to do? How are we going to make the mortgage? How are we going to make ends meet? 
that was who I was. What am I going to do now? Remember the days when we didn't even think about our bodies? The days when we jumped out of bed and nothing creaked or cracked or groaned and nothing was sagging and everything was where it should be except for, you know, gravity taking over over time. And now, because of age, illness, that diagnosis we got last week, all of that has changed. How are we going to answer that question when suddenly who we are shifts? This is the story that Moses is dealing with now. It's the story that you and I deal with. Have you ever felt your identity shift because your circumstances changed? You couldn't be who you thought you were going to be, so who are you going to be now? And who gets to determine that? It's going to come out of the stories and scripts that we've been told. So Moses did what most of us would do, what any hero would do. Uh, he ran and hid. He goes off into the wilderness by himself. He's a fugitive been rejected by his people and rejected by his other people. And he goes out into the wilderness and he hid from the crisis. Here's, here's what I know from, from being a pastor, from being a spiritual director, and from just being a human being. Here's the one thing I know above everything else. The only way that we deal with an identity crisis is to remember who is with us. The only way we deal with an identity crisis is to remember who is with us because we can't control the circumstances. We can't control all those questions that we used to be able to answer. Now we have to lean into something different. We have to lean into memories, stories, and scripts of God being with us. I love Psalm 23. I love when David says this. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're going to take me out of it? Because you're going to change it? Because you're going to fix it? No, for you are with me. God says, even when you can't answer the question, who are you, I will be with you. And we'll figure this out. Even when the circumstances shift, even when the story you thought was going to play out for the rest of your life suddenly closes, I will be with you. And I will take you through. And we'll tell a new story about who you are. This is where our memories need to kick in. The ones that are bright and beautiful and the ones that are messed up and gory the ones we'd like to forget, the ones that keep us up at night. This is where those moments come in and suddenly God's going to use all that and tell a new story from our lives. And he's going to do that in a very specific way and this is what one of the things I want us to remember, that God always works and rescues us by redeeming our memories. Not by erasing our minds like men in black with a little stick. By redeeming our memories. I'm kind of a a pack rat in some ways. I've worked on it. I'm, I'm working through it. Any other pack rats? You guys working through it? We're working through it. We're all good. But I remember one Christmas, I got a, a gift a card and a gift card inside of it. And I was really, you know, you did the thing like, oh, that's so nice. Thank you so much. I'm going to use this like this week. And then I put it in the envelope and then I was intending to use it that week. And then I put it in the drawer. You all have the drawer, right? The drawer where things go to die and disappear and never to be seen again. So I took the card and put it back in the envelope and I put it in the drawer. And then next Christmas, I'm cleaning out the drawer to put new stuff in the drawer so it will disappear and die and never be seen again. And I pull out that card and I look at it and I go, huh, well, it expired. That's <laughs> pretty much worthless. And what's so interesting about that card is that card has no value until someone does something with it. It's there, 
You may see it, you may know it, you may know at some point somebody paid to put money on that card for you to use it, but until we do something with it, it's worthless. And so when it comes to our memories, we might think the stories and scripts that we carry in us are worthless. They're just pain, they're just horror, they're just darkness. We might think that they don't matter at all. But here's the thing, God redeems memories. God takes things that seemingly have no value and uses them for good. And we know that because this is how the story of Moses goes. So Moses is out in the wilderness, and he takes up the job of shepherding, because apparently when you're a fugitive from murder, you become a shepherd. I guess that's just the chosen profession. He's on the run, he meets a girl, he gets married, and they have a child. And they name this child, and the child's name actually means, I have been an alien residing in a foreign land. In case you're looking for kids' names, don't pick that one. You are setting your child up at that point. But it's so bad. Moses' identity crisis is so bad, he's like, let's name the kid the alien. And he names this child. He has this child. And you can kind of see in that his confusion and pain. I don't know where I am. I don't know who I am. And I'm going to let that trickle down to my kids. And it's in that moment, while he's out at night with the sheep, the smelly, bleeding, stupid, helpless sheep, and walking around the wilderness, he sees a light. And this light comes from a tree that's on fire, but it's not burning down. And since there's nothing else going on, the bears aren't playing, the sheep are stupid and sleeping, he says, I'm going to go check this thing out. And so he goes over to see this tree that's on fire that won't burn, and it says this, When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am, like he's calling roll, present. Then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said further, I'm the Lord your God, the Father of God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he's afraid to look at God. In the middle of lostness and confusion, in the middle of a place so dark, he named his kid the alien. God says, I've always been here. I am with you. And this is who you are. So if we're facing that question this morning, trying to figure out, I don't know who I am. I got these stories, I got these scripts, I got this stuff I wish would go away. God steps into the middle of it and says, it doesn't matter, I'm with you, and this is who you are. And we are going to make something beautiful out of that. I am going to take what you think is garbage, and we are going to make art. I'm going to take what you think as addiction, and I'm going to change that, and it's going to become freedom. I'm going to take what you think is darkness, and I am going to make light because that's the kind of thing I do. God takes those stories and redeems them. I am the Lord your God, the God of Abraham, the Isaac, and Jacob. You're part of that family. That's who you are, and I've always been here, so let's do something different, shall we? Instead of you being the guy with the kid named Alien, you notice what he does. It's the Lion King all over again. At the moment of crisis, at the climax of the story, God shows up for Moses and says, remember who you are. It's my best James Earl Jones. I can't do any better. Remember who you are. Regardless of what the stories and scripts in your life are telling you, regardless of what people have told you about who you are, 
regardless of what has happened at the hands or the words of the parents and influences in your life, regardless of the failures, regardless of the rehab, regardless of the poverty, regardless of the race, remember who you are. You see, Jesus made it so that this scripture is true. John says, see how very much the Father loves us, for he calls us children. And that's who we are. Like we have this question, who are you? And the Bible says, let's tell you. Let's talk about that. We love that. Let's take that whole story. Let's take the whole mess. And let's just say this in the middle, in the midst, this is who you are. God is in the business of taking garbage and making art. God is in the business of taking dark and making light. God is in the business of taking slavery and making it freedom. This is what he does. The gift of our memories is that they are the raw material God uses to make us into the people he's designed us to be. From the beginning. In uh, 1999, forever ago it seems, uh, my parents divorced. And they had been married for 19 years at that point. And uh, it was something else because I wasn't expecting it. No one was expecting it. But it was more so because we were that family at church. Do you all know that family? Like the doors are open and you're there. They're always there. You always see them. If they're not there, you figure... Either Jesus came back and I wasn't part of it, or they're sick and we should go check on them. My parents were those people. And so when this happened, it wasn't just, what do I do? It was, oh, my whole story. My whole story has been scrambled like eggs on a Saturday morning. What, what do I do with this? And 20 years now, I'm, I'm figuring it out. But what's amazing about that is God has been able to take that moment in my life and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with children of parents who are divorcing and I've been able to say, I know, I know, I know. And I know you think it's your fault. And I know you've got to choose a parent now for whatever reason. I know, I know, I know. But I have to tell you, God is going to write a more beautiful story out of the middle of this. But it only happens when we're willing to consider one very simple fact. It's a three-word phrase. Every memory belongs. The dark and dangerous, the meh, the glorious. They're all things that God is going to use to make us who he desired us to be. So I want to do a little bit of a prayer with you, if that's okay. So if you don't mind, try to sit in a comfortable spot. Um, put your feet flat on the floor if you don't already have that. And just close your eyes with me. I promise nothing weird's gonna happen. Don't, don't be afraid. And as you, as you sit there with your eyes closed, a comfortable spot, I'd love for you to just take your hands and place one on top of the other and hold them out in front of you like someone's going to put something in them. Nobody's going to do that, but like someone's going to put something in your hands. Just hold them in front of you. And as you do that, I want you to imagine a memory. It'll be the memory that you've been thinking of the whole time I've been talking. Because what I know is, as soon as we started this discussion, you picked one. The one that's key to you, the one that hurts the most, the one that you want to forget the most or the one that's most instrumental in making you who you are, you picked it. So I want you to imagine that memory like a seashell. 
lying in your hands. What does it look like? Is it it rough? Broken? Maybe it's just kind of nondescript and blah. Maybe it's beautiful with perfect edges. Whatever it is, just imagine that shell in your hands. And as you look at that memory, no matter what it looks like, no matter how imperfect it might be, no matter how painful it might be, in your heart, just just repeat this phrase. This memory belongs. You can do that to yourself. Just keep repeating that in in your head, in your heart. This memory belongs. Just embrace the fact that it's part of your story. It's like Moses killing the Egyptian. It's like my parents. Those experiences of rejection, fear, failure. Every, this memory, every memory belongs. And now as you look at that, just embraced it. It's part of you. It's part of who you are. It's part of how you're going to answer that question. Make your prayer right now. God, what are you going to do with this? We know God is in the business of redeeming our memories. God, what are you going to do with this? Ask that question in your heart to him and just listen for what he might say. what are you going to do with this? God, we're grateful that you make glory out of garbage, that you make freedom out of bondage, that you build faith out of fear. You take everything that we have within us, all the stories, all the scripts, all the experiences, and you make something beautiful. You redeem it. I thank you for the work of redemption and healing that you've begun in this room, and I pray that you would carry it into this week and this month and this year, that you would begin to do new things in every person who's listening. And all this I pray, and we pray, In the name of Jesus, who writes better stories.